Millerman's And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the teen utilo, Tom Fitzgerald, and I'm here with the low and utilo, Lorenzo Marquez Malova. Hello. Yes, it is June. It is sunny. It is warm out. It is Friday. It is Pride Month. So um, we're going to have a gay old podcast. Uh, of course, every podcast we have is a gay old podcast. Pretty much. This podcast is going to be a brief one. We're just going to talk specifically about uh, the gayest movie of the year, which is uh, Fire Island, which uh, dropped on Hulu last week, just in time for Pride Month. Um, it is a gay rom-com with an almost exclusively queer ca- a cast of queer men and women. Well, one woman. Um, in fact, we're going to get into a little bit of the uh, off-screen sort of conversation discourse about the movie that got a little dumb this week uh regarding the presence of women in the film um i really isn't a spoil i don't think anybody here has to worry about spoilers it's a rom-com how do you think it's going to end right and it's based uh, very openly based on in fact the film references it constantly uh pride and prejudice in fact the opening line in the movie is the opening line of pride and prejudice the one about um a, a man in want of a wife uh, and what I think is interesting, we're going to get into the whole thing. Uh, because, and the reason we're going to get into it, if you haven't seen it, I hope you take some time to watch it. It's on right. Hulu. Watch it this weekend. It is charming, romantic, funny, sexy. Uh, and I just loved every member of the cast, most of whom you've never heard of before. Probably not. Uh, yeah. Except for Bo and Yang, who's on Saturday Night Live. Um and we just wanted to unpack a little bit of it because we're very familiar f- with Fire Island. Well, we are f- very familiar with it, but also not very familiar with it. And I think part of that is we should probably unpack our history with Fire Island. Um, and why, I mean, certain parts of the movie uh-huh. uh, resonated with us. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that every time they talk about a movie or anything about Fire Island, I usually roll my eyes because they tend to go... I don't know, in a direction that I usually don't like. Um, because the island is a lot more than what people, you know, think of it most of the time. You know, it, it it's a great island. It has a great history for the queer community. Um, if you, I mean, people, uh, queer people have been going to the island since, you know, late 1800s, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oscar Wilde visited the island in 1883, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all the, all it the was f- an enclave for gay men. Right. I, um, I'm not entirely sure why that is. I know there is a history that will tell you why that right. is. Artists. But it became an enclave for basically New York City. And you have to understand, New York City was, um, uh, for, you know, uh, for, I don't know how to put this. For most of its history, New York City was the ground zero of gay male existence in right. the United States. San Francisco would later claim that title. But when you talk about the history of of queerness in America, um, New York City is ground zero. New York City is a cultural center. It right. it, it has infl- influences all of America and has for almost the entire length of its history. So perhaps it's no surprise that New York City is uh, so influential on the history of, of gay Americans. Uh, part of that is because... Uh, we'll do a little history lesson here. Is because of the size of the city... And the way that New York City has always been where people go in right. this country when they want to remake themselves, when they want to find opportunities, you go to, quote, the Big Apple. And for queer people across the country, um, if you needed to, if you if you wanted to or needed to get away from heteronormativity, even if you couldn't put a word as to what it is you were trying to escape, 
um, you went to New York City. And what you did when you, and this is how the entire, uh, the history of queer identity was formed post-industrial revolution, uh, because there was no concept of, of homosexuality as an identity mm-hmm. um, until almost the 20th century, late 19th century, it started becoming an accepted idea that it wasn't just an act or a devi- deviation, it was an actual identity. Right. There were a homosexual wasn't an action, it was a person. And it took time for that, it took decades for that. But the impetus of that was the fact that queer people from all over the country who had no name for what they were and never and had never met people like themselves congregated in a place like New York City and naturally found each other. Right. And in doing so, um, in, in especially in New York, certain long-standing traditions of queer life were born there, not least of which is basically what we call pride, is an an eruption of Stonewall and the first um, gay liberation parades that came the year after Stonewall. That's why we have Pride in June. It's because Stonewall happened and it happened in New York City. It's not the only... um, uh, and we've talked about this in our book and we talked about it on our site. It's not the only place or time where people, uh, queer people fought back against the law and, and it wasn't even the first, but it was the one, it was the one that lit the spark. It was the one that became the rallying cry for queer people. And a big part of that is because it happened in New York city, which isn't just a, a cultural center and a center for queer people. It is also a media center. So when the first queer liberation parades and demonstrations started happening in like 1970, 1971. It happened in the greatest concentration of media in America at that time. Television stations, radio stations, newspapers that were read and and listened to all over the country were able to uh, cover that stuff. And that's how um, what we know as queer liberation and gay pride, or just pride, um, wound up rippling outward to the rest of the country. So for that reason, it's probably not surprising that um, uh, queer men in, in New York City needed a place to escape to, and they found this little island off Long Island that was largely uninhabitable. It, it, inhabitable, yeah. And in many ways, Fire Island is very difficult. It is not an easy place to get to. There are no cars allowed. It's very marshy right. and swampy. Um, every... You can't walk anywhere. Everything, there's boardwalks built everywhere. Basically, you know, uh, well, boardwalks. I don't know what else to call them. And that's how you get from point A to point yeah, B. I you, remember, the only time you walk on the ground is when you're on the beach. Right. Everywhere else, you're on an elevated boardwalk. I remember going there for the first time. And, and the first thing I noticed, it was a boardwalk. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's yeah. so weird. I, I feel like I'm not touching the ground. I'm right. always walking on something. Um, and the fact that, you know, you can't drive to the island nowhere at all. I'm you have not, to take a ferry to the island. There's no bridge. There's right. nothing like that. You, you take a ferry. There's no cars there, pretty much. Uh, and so that's the beauty of it because you do feel like you're in this paradise and it's just yours and you know you're separate from humanity you're separate separate from straight people and it's yeah it's interesting there's a line in the movie i forget who says it i was like who cares what straight people think about us we're not going to see them for a week (laughs) right there's the opening conversation on the ferry over references the fact one of the great things about fire island for queer people who visit it is the almost total lack of straight people. I mean, it's not a total lack, especially right. if you go to Cherry Grove, but um, it, it's 
the only time in my life uh, and the only place in my life where I felt like straight people were a vast minority and right. and as they imply in that that conversation they just don't matter that right. as long as you're on fire island straight people don't matter right and for the the history of queer existence that has been a very important aspect of it you i, I hope if you've read our book or if you followed uh, our pride postings or whatever you understand that um queer existence prior to 1995 or so i mean really relatively recently was extraordinarily difficult for people in america queer people in america right. and we needed those enclaves we needed to be able to get away and go somewhere where there were no so it's sort of like um wonder woman's magic island full of women that's what fire island is for gay people it's you just remove <laughs> it's mostly male at least the fire island pines part of it is and um it's just removed from the rest of the world as a form of, at, a, at the time, it was a form of self-preservation and protection. And there's still that part of it, although now it's way more celebratory. Right. Um, and in fact, if I, I I'm, we're going to talk about the film and the parts about um, the Fire Island social scene that it gets right and other parts that I don't think it quite gets right. But one of the things it implies is that... Um, there is a it, it basically because it's a pride and prejudice um, uh, uh, adaptation. It is obsessed with class, uh, and it 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 transfers all the book's musings mm -hmm. on class and social strata onto Fire Island, and it does that very well. And most of the characters uh, at the center of the film are not the upper class of Fire Island. They, you know, they don't they aren't the moneyed class of Fire right. Island. They are intimidated by that moneyed class. But for a certain, for a certain class of mostly men on Fire Island, it's essentially gay Hamptons. There are mansions on that island. There are extremely wealthy people on right. that island, and I have been <laughs> to parties um, <laughs> Just where like it's, in a movie. Yeah. <laughs> no, not those kinds of parties. I mean the kinds of parties where we were some of the youngest people at the party, and. Um, I remember having conversations with these older gentlemen who were like, they would mention what their jobs were. And I was like, holy fuck, this guy, like he's extremely powerful, extremely right. well connected. I mean, it's a lot of New York media people. It's a lot of New York high big business people. It's, you know, a lot of um, people in the arts in New York. So there is an very much an A-list class in on Fire Island. And um, uh, I think, think the film does a very good job they don't get too deep into it there are very there are rich characters in it that they you know there's a mr darcy who's very rich um and there's a huge mansion that's very intimidating but um the focus is largely on the people in the story who are not not rich people um and who feel very uh sort of insecure about that all week long and i feel like that's very true Right. Um, I think there I, are two classes of people. Go ahead. I think the 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 movie does a very good job um, pointing all that that you just mentioned. If you don't know the island, you have to understand there's Cherry Grove and then there's Pines. Pines is where all the big houses are and people with a lot of money and that usually they own all the houses, um, their own houses. I mean, there's the, renters. There's lots yeah, of renters. I was going to mention that there are renters and and uh, you can um, uh, you know get a get a group together and. Um, ran a house but mostly the young people people who's just there for one day they go to cherry grove or and there are some hotels there too so it's a little different and i think the, the movie does a very good point 
explaining why they stayed on on Pines because, you know, uh, Mar- Margaret uh, Cho's character has a house there, and they do a very good job showing that their house it, it her house is you know you can tell that she bought the house a long time ago and she didn't have time to do much with it. Uh, as opposed to the mansion that the white people are staying, so they do a very good job right. pointing that. So if you if you know how the island works, and as Tom said, you know you have all these rich people on Pines, and then you we 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 usually joke saying that you know Pines is a place where you relax and have a good time, and then you go have fun on uh, Cherry Grove because it's it's all the young people having the best time of their yeah. life. Some of them are just staying there for for the day. They take the ferry uh, back the same day. Or right. It, it, that you know. tends to be where the day right. trippers go. Um, just to describe some, it, it, in the especially in the Pines, you can see one of these stunning. I don't even know how oh much, God, like eight yeah. million dollar mansions right on the beach. And right next to it, or right down the roadway from it, the boardwalk from it, will be some little ramshackle falling apart thing that was built 50 years ago. Right. And you know, like, you know, it's going to get torn down and someone else is going to come right. along. But there's this really charming um, high-low thing going on in in the uh, uh, in the Pines and in Cherry Grove, especially in the Pines, where it, you see just money beyond money beyond money next to these really charming old places, right, right, you know? Yeah. Um one of those parties that we went to, and we're going to talk about our history with Fire Island, which is not much of a history. Um, but one, one, it was like a dinner party at a friend's house, and I was talking to elderly gentlemen who have been basically coming there since the 1950s. And you will find that class a lot in the Pines, which it's the... I only have two criticisms of the movie, and this is one of them. And it's actually a very, very minor criticism. Um, I didn't expect a focus. I didn't expect a character. I didn't even expect an interaction with an older person. But you don't see, you hardly see any in the movie at all. It is literally everybody in the movie is 30. And they're everywhere. Uh, uh, The thing about, yeah, that's the thing, especially in The Pines, but it's even true in Cherry Grove. Um, To me, I know that The Pines is full of hot young guys going to sex parties and, you know, whatever. Um or just having parties, or going to tea, or going to the sip and twirl. I understand that. But my experience of the Pines is it's majority over 50. It's, to me, when I think of the Pines, I'm like, the majority of the crowd there is over 50. Because are the people staying there for the whole month, or staying there for more than two weeks? I mean, you do see the young crowd moving around. Yeah. But they're they're either guests... Um, uh, staying for a few days, or, right. they, or they go back the same day. So you do see There's the young entire cr- Facebook yeah. page of uh, for young guys looking for someone to put them up in a house, right? Um, right. Looking for older men who <laughs> yeah. own houses, and they'll do it, of course. <laughs> of course they will. Uh, the The film's very good about explaining that there is an economy in 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 game, in especially in the Pines, uh, a social world, and that economy is based not just on money, but on looks. On masculinity, yeah. they make a really good point about masculinity, and of course, body, 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 body. I mean, the, and then on top of everything right. else, race. There's just race. I mean, the pines is, uh, uh, I, yeah, it's majority white. I was going to say I wouldn't call it majority white, but no, of course yeah. I would. Oh, of yes, course it, I would. Yes, it's yes, majority yes, white. Yes, yes. Um, and the film does a very good job of um, unpacking what I would imagine to be the difficulties of being non-white. A non-white gay right, man right. in that mm-hmm. setting. Part of what makes Fire Island um, 
such an important film. It's not it's not just that it's a gay rom-com. Gay rom-coms have been done before. Usually independent films or lower budget films. Um but what really sets us apart from all of them aside from the fact that the cast is is pretty uh talented across the board is that um it's it centers and focuses on gay Asian men, which I cannot remember a mainstream right queer film in America that has ever done that ever done that which makes it so historic um so that aspect of the film which is part of the main focus of the film is navigating these privileged white spaces as non-white men um i cannot speak to of course i can't speak to that i can i can't speak to the accuracy of it or the um the legitimacy of the points made but it all felt very honest and true to me what i love about it is that based on our experience as you said you know i've i've I've, you know i've been going to the island for a while now and you don't see a lot of asians you don't see a lot of african-americans you do see them but not as many as white folks there yeah and it's interesting because watching this movie in the beginning uh so someone like me who's been going to the island for a while now you, yeah at the first time you when you start watching the movie it's like oh okay they're all asians how interesting blah 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 and then you know instantly you get used to it and don't, you know and you don't even see race anymore that's one great thing i mean race in the sense that they're all characters for me you know after right. a while watching the movie you see characters well you, there's also a universality to right. the story it's and about pay, class distinctions it's about love that's about sex right, right. you pay attention to the uh story and that's not the focus you know the main point anymore it is in a sense because that's the whole story about them being, you know, underrepresented uh, in many, many ways. But what I'm trying to say is that it's great to see a story like this. And why can't we have more stories like this? You know, I totally agree. That's my point here, that because you, you know, you enjoy it for what it is and, and you appreciate what the story they're telling. Right. It's it's great. Uh, uh, like I said, every time I, I, I watch other movies or other stories about Fire Island, and they're, you know, I, I usually hate them. But this one I really, really enjoyed. Uh, they did a fantastic job, as we mentioned. What I what I love, and I, when the film was over, I said this. You, you said, it, I love it. It was really funny. And I said, you know, it was. Obviously, I wouldn't argue with any of that. I laughed all the way through it. But what really took me by pleasant surprise was how intelligent it was. Right. It's actually one of the smartest little yes. gay sex comedies I think I've ever seen. Because those movies, no offense to my gay brethren who are filmmakers, but a lot of independent gay films are... I, I Listen, I spent years going to gay film festivals and stuff like that. I've seen a lot of them over the years. And, um, uh, you know... There's not there's a lot of not good stuff in that in that pool of films. Right. There's just a lot of cliches and that sort of thing. And I felt like this film. Uh, first off, Joel Kim Booster, who was the star of the film, he wrote this uh, after he was on Fire Island uh, something like ten years ago, and he brought a copy of Pride and Prejudice with him, and he couldn't stop thinking about ten how ten years ago. Wow, how, how old is he? <laughs> he's in his thirties. Oh, okay, because that's um, very young. Anyway. Uh, so he brought Pride and Prejudice with him and he was reading it while he was there and he couldn't stop uh, thinking how well it mapped onto mm-hmm. the rest of the, you know, the social scene on that island. And I, yeah, I got to give Joel, uh, I don't know if he's listening. I kind of doubt it. He follows us on Twitter, but I mean, he follows a lot of people on Twitter. Um, but it was really intelligent. Yeah. It was a really intelligent adaptation um, and not just in its observations, but in the fact that... Um, Several of its characters were just 
intelligent people. There is a point where he and his Mr. Darcy get into an argument about a short story from a literature collection for no other reason than to show mm-hmm. both their attraction and their enmity towards each other. Right. Um, but I, I remember sitting there thinking while it was going on, like, who has a conversation about literature in the middle of a rom-com? And it's actually a pretty good conversation. It wasn't, it wasn't facile. It wasn't frivolous. It was two men uh, debating, you know, the parts of a short story. Uh, but... Um, it wasn't just that. It was his observations about what I... I mean, this was my favorite scene. There was a scene where him and Bowen Yang... Let's just run down the cast real quick here because I don't think we've talked about them. Uh, the cast is Joel Kim Booster, Bowen Yang from Saturday Night Live, Margaret Cho, who I don't even think I need to explain, Conrad Rickamora, who you might remember from How to Get Away with Murder, Matt Rogers, James Scully, Tomas Matos, Nick Adams, Zane Phillips. I mean, a lot of those names you probably don't know. Um, you you might recognize some of these people when you see them on screen. Uh, and But for a lot of them, it's really their, it's either their debut or close to yeah, it. Some of them have done uh, Broadway. Broadway. Uh, yeah. Uh, everyone I just mentioned is gay. And um, uh, there's a scene between Bo and Yang and Joel. Uh, who are best friends in the in the um, story? In the story, they're bas- you know he's Joel is the Elizabeth Bennet of the no is it Elizabeth Bennet yeah, and Bowen is you know his one of the Bennet sisters I can't remember which one he's supposed to be Jane I think yeah I, oh you're right I think it is Jane and I think uh, Matt Rogers is supposed to be Kitty, but they have an argument and. Bowen really goes for him in this argument. And I was like, when it was over, I turned to you and I said, that is some good gay stuff right there. Because they really touched on a lot of stuff about how gay men relate to each other in a social sense and how they delude each other sometimes. Right. And uh, Joel, who much is made of the fact in the film that he, it, Joel is hot. He's got a fantastic body. He's he's usually topless in almost all of his scenes. Um and Bowen Yang, if you've seen him on Saturday Night Live, very cute, but he does not have some cover boy body. Right. And and the film actually navigates that. The two of them are talking about sex, and Joel is insisting that um, Bowen's character can get laid on Fire Island, should get laid on Fire And, you know, I've been on Fire Island, and the Bowens of the world aren't going to find it easy to get laid on Fire Island because that's, there's such a high level of very, very good-looking, very fit men right. on that island. It can be extraordinarily intimidating. And Bowen really goes after him. And at one point he says, you did all of this. And he points to basically his body and um, just accuses him of pretending that they're the same when they are not right. the same. You like you stand on opposite sides of a divide when one of you is hot, mm. according to what the gay community thinks is hot, and the other one is not. And when two people like that are friends, two gay men like that are friends, it can be difficult, mm-hmm. it can be very hurtful, and it can even be um, inadvertently quite toxic. There's a lot of jealousy, there's a lot of assumptions, and... and uh, one of the things that in in doing reading up on on the cast members, there's a cast member named Zane Phillips who plays just this fucking stunning guy who turns out to be a sex worker. He basically looks like if Henry Cavill and Chris Evans had a baby. <laughs> yeah, that's basically what he looks like. Oh my God, yeah, he is absolutely he is ridiculous. He's ridiculously not real. Ridiculously, I don't think he's real. Hot looking, 
And I was reading an interview with him today, and he talks about his insecurity and and, the, and his social anxiety. And I don't hey, doubt yes. that any of that is true. But by the same token, it's sort of like the Bowen Yang response, where it's like, don't pretend that you and I are the same thing. Don't pretend that someone right. who looks like you right. has the same level of insecurity as someone, well, frankly, who looks like me, or, you know, that sort of thing. Right, right. And when you come up against that, and what that scene was just fantastic, because I was like, that really gets at the heart of both gay friendship, mm -hmm. gay male friendship, and gay male toxicity. And that's the thing about Fire Island, and I do think the film does a really good job of this, is that it shows you over the course of two hours, it demonstrates again and again and again, that Fire Island truly is magical. It is. It, I know that sounds like a cliche, but I honestly feel like saying, I hope all of you, if you've never gone, I hope you get the chance to go someday. Because putting aside the parties and the drugs and the ridiculously hot men or the ridiculously wealthy men, it, it it's like Wonder Woman's Magic Island. Right. You can go out in the morning and there are deer walking past you on the boardwalk. They'll come right up to you, which I'm always like, Lyme disease, Lyme disease. I'm like running away from them. But there are just deer gently roaming right, the right. island. It is, there are no cars. There are no sounds. It's just canopies of trees and all the houses are set way back. Right. If you are lucky enough to know someone who has a house and we are, hello, Mark. I'm yes, pretty sure you're listening. Mark, we love you. We love you. Um, <laughs> you, you, Get these houses are all set way back, so they all feel like little oases. Right, almost right. all houses, I pretty think, I'm pretty sure almost every house on the island has its own pool, and those all those yards are completely enclosed it, and it, private. It's fantastic, yeah. So it's interesting. Let's talk about our history on the island. So we, you know, we're we're being a little bit accurate here. I was never uh, a young man on the island. Right. I did not go to. Um, the fir my first time on Fire Island, I was at least forty. Mm -hmm. um, we met someone who knew what. Who actually, uh, we had moved to South Philly for a brief period. We're, we don't live there anymore. And when we were new in the neighborhood, we were walking down the street, and this guy was walking towards us, and he said, "Wait a minute, are you Tom and Lorenzo?" And uh, you know, we were embarrassed because we were covered in paint. We were painting our new kitchen, but we said yes, and we and we were looking for friends in the neighborhood, and he was gay, and. Um, he invited us, I think, to a dinner party. I guess that's how that progressed. And that's how we met Mark, who was his boyfriend at the time. And um, Mark became our friend. Right. The, the, the guy that we met on the sidewalk, they broke up years ago, and yeah. we haven't seen him in years. But Mark has been our friend this whole Mark time. Mark is a wonderful friend, came to our wedding. He, he brought wonderful wine. He, yeah. He's that kind of friend. I he asked did. him to... Um, to um, suggest a wine for the wedding and yes. he showed up with two cases of wine yes. and said it's taken care of. He's, That's he's who Mark wonderful. is. Yeah, Mark is wonderful. Um, Mark has a house on Fire Island. So he invited us, you know, well over 10 years ago. And um, we have uh, gone every summer, but we only go for, uh, you know, an extended weekend. I don't know that we've ever spent as long as an entire week there. I can't But remember. we go every year. Yeah. But we were never like young hot guys looking for the we weren't going to the meat rack. We weren't going to the underwear party. We weren't we weren't even going to many parties. We right. were having the middle aged male version, gay male version of Fire <laughs> Island, which is, you know, you 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 eat fantastic dinners and you lie around the pool and you smoke weed and, and drink all weekend. And that's just yeah. this incredibly well, that, relaxed vibe. That's what I was going to say. I mean, you can do whatever scene you want. You can, right. you can go to the island and just relax and enjoy the beach and all, and all that. You don't have to be 
you don't have to feel like you have to be go to the parties, the underwear right, right, party. Right. You don't have to do any of that. You can if you want, but it's not you know a requirement. I mean, you right. can still have a wonderful time, and that's how I see the island. Uh, we go because we we see Mark. Mark is very busy. We don't see him often. And then there's David, our friend, too. He goes. So it's all these friends. Um, get together and we similar have, to the film where yeah, they only see exactly. each other like once a year yeah, yeah. exactly the same I mean, like all these wonderful friends we have that we don't get to see them often and then we once a year we get together on the uh, get together on the island and we have a wonderful time unlike the characters in the in the film though we are not young and we are not um mostly not obsessed with coming out and getting late um (laughs) gay men being gay men let me tell you that that impulse never never goes completely away (laughs) but it's not like it like for these characters in this film it was like the driving force of their entire social existence was parties and getting laid like the whole story centers on those things and my that is not our experience of Fire Island. It's a much more chill, no, we I, mature kind of uh, no, vibe. I love the island. I love to be there, and mm-hmm. I read a lot about the history of it. And if you have some time, Google it. And it has oh, a fascinating history. There fascinating is a site history, called yeah. PinesHistory.org. Yes, yes. Uh, and I was just reading this morning. Could uh, you repeat that again? pineshistory.org there you go it's about the it's the fire around the pines historical preservation society i was just reading the story about and they have pictures the legendary story literally any queen over the age of 50 on this island can tell you about how, oh the time God, that madonna yeah. came yes or they might tell you about the time i think Cher came on a helicopter yes, yes, and yes. madonna arrived on a seaplane with debbie mazar um, <laughs> legendary and then you know there were legendary parties with Elton John in the 70s yes, but, and yeah. there were also parties you can find Halston Halston was there Halston had he, yeah. he had a house there yeah everybody um, Calvin, Calvin Klein has, has I think he still has a house there does or, he? or at least had a house um, there the Marlboro man had a house there the one who eventually died of AIDS complications in the 80s his house is right, right. his former house is right we across from the house. Mark's house we actually know the house in the movie uh, the mansion that they uh, show in the movie we know exactly where it is so it's it's not a huge island i mean it does feel like a huge island if you're just walking yeah of course but, it, but it's not that it's huge. a needle it's very i mean from bay to beach is not even a 10 minute right. walk it's a long needle of an island and there is a joke about they walk to the uh yes to the to cherry grove from the pines and literally every year when you make that walk, every year I you're know. like, oh, fuck, I forgot how long this walk is. Because it is. It's a long walk. And one of them says that when we started laughing, because that is so true. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you have you take the uh, water uh, taxi, taxi now. Um, it, it's just so everything they, they do or say, we're like, oh, yes, that's exact. Oh, the pantry. I mean, my God, we have to the talk pantry, about, yeah. <laughs> about the, They talk about the pantry. They don't show much of the pantry. I, no. I, when they went to the pantry, I was like, oh, I, I can't wait to see what they yeah. say about the pantry. But they didn't really show much of the pantry. And the pantry is hysterical. because It's, it's basically the supermarket on the it's island. It's the only place where you can get food. Everything right. is like three times more expensive. Yeah. Because they have to bring up the stuff And because the clientele yeah. is almost exclusively yeah. wealthy gay men, it's some of the most, you know, it's some very snooty snoot. I mean, you can get your, you know, junky cereals there, but there's a lot of snooty high. Yeah. And, expensive items. Right. And I'm telling you all this because they do make jokes about all right, that right, right. in the movie. And so you're going to get the jokes. Uh, it, it, but it's it, it's fun. And the, the, the cashiers, you know, the girls. The, they're, they're some of the most... Because that's the thing. People who work on the island, um, they tend to live on Long Island. Right. You know, and uh, like, for, for instance, at the, at the pantry... Um, it's almost always like high school or college girls they don't who were, and they, yeah, they don't I mean, care. <laughs> all I can imagine is, could you imagine spending your whole summer dealing with 
queer gay men, gay men with oh money or who are obsessed with getting laid like i can't imagine so they tend to be really snotty and really intimidated like the girls at the pantry are famous for being intimidated i know it's, it's funny um, but you know the movie will take time away from the underwear parties and the orgies and the doing the drugs to just have an extended sequence of characters uh watching the sunset and it's actually a really oh funny God, yes. scene yes but that is what The Pines is like. Yes. You, it can be this frantic social scene, which we mostly never took part in, with, punctuated by these moments of serenity and natural beauty that, that will take your breath away. Yeah, and I'm not joking. Uh, on my computer, there's a picture of it right now. Uh, your, your desktop computer, yeah. I mean, image is always yeah. something from Fire Island. Always, because it is, as you said, I always, I mean, when I post pictures on Instagram, when we're there, I always call it heaven because it is, it yeah. is, it is the kind of place where you can have the most wonderful time and it is intimidating every now and then you're walking on the walkboard and all these incredibly hot guys and speedos, but I guess I have to say almost a hundred percent of the time they're extremely friendly. Everybody says hi to you. I would not go that far well, at I, all. Everybody says hi to me. So oh, anyway. good for you, sweetie. <laughs> um, anyway. I will say that. Um, if you're not, if I've heard a lot of gay men who have never been to Fire Island, who have only heard about it by reputation, yes, I've yes. Had, heard this, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times, who have this idea of it as this nonstop orgy, and that everybody there is so hot, and it's so intimidating. And there is truth to all of that, right. but it really depends on what you're putting into your weekend exactly. or your week there. Exactly. I can say, as someone who has a lot of reason to be self-conscious on, at, a, at a place like Fire Island, I never really am. Mm -hmm. Because it, while it's very true, there are plenty of guys who look like Joel Kim Booster or who have bodies on that level. There are plenty of guys walking around in yeah. nothing but a Speedo with an, just no body fat whatsoever. There's also the full range of yeah. body types yes. and ages on that on yeah. that island. So I cannot say that I've ever been. I don't really walk around like with my arms crossed and worried that I look. You know, it, that's not my experience no. of the island. But then again, I'm not going to the meat rack and I'm not going to the underwear party. So if you're going to those things, yeah, they can be more insanely intimidating, intimidating. Yeah. Be, because trust me, they're the 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 aesthetic quality of these men it's very very high you, yes. as, as you will go there and and just never see so many insanely good-looking men yeah, it, in one place it, at one time you, but that's not the entirety of the population if you combine queer aesthetic with <laughs> new york queen exactly it's just yeah that type that level of, but, of obsession with their bodies but it's not everybody. I don't want people to think that everybody there is like... I mean, I don't care what you think. I'm not the Fire Island Chamber of Commerce. Right. You can think whatever you want. But in my experience, depending right. on how you put, uh, how you approach the Pines and how you approach Fire Island, um, it doesn't have to be a place where you feel terrible about how you look. Having said that, one of... Uh, like I said, I had a, a minor criticism that the film had almost nobody over the age of 45, even in the background. Like, there was just nobody. There's and only I, one scene. There's one scene where they make a point of showing right. that there's an elderly couple. And it was cute. And it looked like... And they, when they cut to this elderly couple, I was like, that looks like 75% of the island to me. That's the first time I've seen someone that looks that age. But fine. Uh, you could make the point that if you're 30 and on Fire Island anybody older than you was completely invisible. Well, and yeah. that's absolutely true. So I'm not upset that there was no, no. you know, middle-aged representation. The other point that I, the only other point of, of um, 
criticism I have is that, you know, there's a lot of unpacking of body issues and who has currency in, in, a, in a social situation like that. And how, you know, if you look like Joel, if you have abs, there's a lot you can do and get away with. A lot of doors open up for you. And that it's different if you don't look like him. And there's also the point being made that, you know, Joel has his own issues because as an Asian man, he is, you know, also invisible to a lot of people in a lot right. of ways. One of the characters in his little group of friends, and they're all great. All the actors are great, really funny. They have great chemistry. You absolutely believe that these are all best friends. But one of the characters is an obese black man. Um, let me get the uh, actor's name. Torian Miller. He's great, that, but they don't give him many lines. And the whole time I was watching the film, mm-hmm. and they were going to underwear parties and sex parties and, and parties, um, all I kept thinking was, I want to hear what that guy has to say. Because as an obese black man on Fire Island, navigating that scene, come on, you've got to have some observations. You've right. got, And I'm not saying he should have cried over how or anything like that, but at the very least, have him make a sharp comment about, you know, you bitches think you have it so hard. Try right. being me. Just, just one line. Just like one that. line. Yeah. Like, if you're going to talk about the supremacy of white gay men in gay male social situations and the supremacy of men with no body fat in these situations, and then you cast a, a plus size black actor who, you know, he has a shirt off in scenes and everything, but and you never give him a line. Because I've been fat on Fire Island. So I was like, I want to hear it. I just want one line from that guy. I right. want him to say, fuck all y'all. Or I want him to say, you know, this hurt my... Anything. And I, it felt like a blind spot to me. It felt like the one part of the film that failed to give a character a voice. And when they were talking about things that would specifically impact him, racism and body policing, that's my only criticism. Right. But I think the, the movie does a, a great job... Uh, talking about how Asians in general, um, you know, feel, especially in the queer uh, community. Gay Asian men have consistently had a terrible yes. time in gay male social spaces. They yeah. are, um, when Ostracized, you talk about yeah. black men in, in gay male social spaces, they tend to be fetishized. Whereas Asian men in gay male social spaces are considered asexual, considered right. non-sexual. Right. Uh, unless they look like um, Joel Kim. But it's true. I mean, the the character, one of the characters make the point, I don't want to give too much weight, so I'll just say one of the characters make the point that on Grider they say, no fats, no Asians, you know. No femmes. That's a very famous it, line. It's a very famous line because that's how it is. That's how fit white men yes. talk. Yes. Yes. Gay men talk to each other. I've always said that gay men are, um, you know, gay, gay male social spaces can be wonderful and life-affirming and you can find your family in those spaces, you can find yourself in those spaces, but the flip side of that is that gay male social spaces uh, can be toxic as hell. Mm-hmm. Toxic as hell. Yes, yeah. And I think the film, again, does a really good job of, see, of letting you see that, letting you see the parts of Fire Island that you probably heard about, uh, but also reminding you over and over and over again that it really is a beautiful place. It really does feed your soul in a lot of ways. There's a scene of someone waking up next to the pool first thing in the morning as the sun is coming up, and they caught <laughs> they caught that moment perfectly. The, the, the quality of the light was perfect. The sound design was perfect. Yeah. And there is something about waking up outside 
on Fire Island as the yeah. sun. It's just fucking magical. Magical. I mean, the island is absolutely fantastic. I It's one of my favorite places in the world. I absolutely love the place. What did you think about Margaret Cho? I, I, I think she was fine. I think the point was... You know, you can say that she she didn't have much, although she mentioned she's a lesbian, she had relationships, blah, blah, blah. But I think the whole point is to show that she has a house, and that's the reason why they, they still keep in touch with her. Right. They're friends with her, it's clear. But also one of the reasons why they, 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 want, they, want, they keep in touch with her and, and come see her. And she does, again, not want to give it... I don't want to give it too much away, but there is a conversation where she she's clearly aware of her... Or, of her space her her um her I mean, rung on the ladder yes, so to speak yeah, yeah her character was originally written to be a, a mature game and I, we should know that margaret cho i think is roughly around 50 years old so they do actually give a character you know a middle-aged character a moment to herself right and she actually does refer to how invisible she can be right uh, and this part was originally written to be an elderly gay man. I didn't know when that. they gave it to her, or not an elderly, a middle-aged gay man. When they gave it to her, I think the tenor of that slightly changes because you're not just talking about being invisible because you're older. It's because you're a woman right. in a very male-centered space. She doesn't get much to do, but that is not the point of her character. She is essentially Mrs. Bennett or Mr. Bennett actually, because she's starting. She's going to lose the house, right? Which is uh, pretty much what Pride and Prejudice is about. So she is essentially the parental character in a romance story. So of course she's not going to. The story right. isn't going to center her. The island has changed. I have to say, uh, I remember going there for the for the first time, and now going now, you see a lot more women. You see children now. Uh, it has I don't know changed that a little. I can say that it's it, changed. Well, you see more of that. I remember going in the beginning, and I wouldn't see any any child at all walking around, and um, or you know, very few women. Uh, but you do see more of them. In, Cherry Grove is uh, all not all lesbian, but it is there's right. just a ton of women in Cherry Grove, and that's where a lot of lesbian women well, go that, there. Yeah, that's why I mentioned Cherry Grove in the sense that. People who don't have a house there or can't stay with anybody, they usually just take the the ferry and go for the day and mm-hmm. go back. You know, at the end of the day, you see a lot of that. That's where the fantastic drag queen shows happen. You yeah, know, like it's a lot of fun. The best it, drag is in Cherry Grove. Yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, Drag Race's Peppermint has something of a cameo, and she's you know in a right. scene short briefly. Um, also wanted to talk about Conrad Ricamora, who who does play the Mr. Darcy yeah. in this. Um, I first of all, I love his scenes with Joel. They said he was cat. That's the other thing is that they were not considering they it, when the part was written. They they didn't think they were going to cast an Asian man. Oh, interesting. Um, it was going to be Joel falling for a wealthy white man. His Mr. Darcy was going to be a white man. So, but apparently Conrad Ricamora came in and they they immediately realized that they were going to go with him because they said um, he was the only actor who flustered hmm. um, Joel. And you can see that on screen. They have intense, intense chemistry. Uh, and he is in many ways a flawless Mr. Darcy. Yes, yeah. Because you loathe him <laughs> yes. in the introduction and you are hopelessly in love with him by yeah. the end of the yeah. film. He is charming as hell. Mm-hmm. And no Tino shade against anybody else in the cast, but I thought he was fucking white hot. I thought he was. I mean, Zane Phillips, that Mm -hmm. one guy is gorgeous, but I thought as a romantic lead, I Mm -hmm. thought he was just hot as hell. He's so handsome, has such a striking uh, face. He's he's gorgeous. And they actually make 
and I loved it that they make these observations that um, the fact that he's uh, more or less straight acting and has a deep voice gives yeah. him currency in a social, in yeah. a gay male yeah. social. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many times I was rejected or turned away because I didn't have the voice that many men thought was supposed to. I'm a big guy. Right, right, and right. you can all hear my voice. It's not, you know. Right. It's not dripping in, in masculine. And that's fine. I made my issues with that years ago. I'm recording, what, my 350th podcast? I'm fine with it. But um, I, I really like that they touched on that, that they touched on how masculinity is a form of currency in, in gay male socializing and how something like a deeper voice right. actually puts you higher on the social rung than someone who sounds like, for instance, me. Right. Um, uh, if you pay attention to the lines, I know because you're laughing so much that you miss a, a line here and there. But if you pay attention to all the lines, you, you see a lot of that. Right. There's a lot inserted here and there about gay men and how gay men behave and how they feel and so on. Uh, it, 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 the racism you, of the white characters is so well rep- represented. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Now, it's most of the main white characters, the ones that other characters fall in love with or hook up with are not terrible, but there's all these peripheral side bitches, total <laughs> white bitches. bitches yeah. um, and I think they, they just nail that the way, the way gay men can be so blithely um, just cluelessly racist right in front of people. Uh, I mean, there's a scene where Bowen Yang is a flashback where Bowen Yang and Joel Kim Booster are, are waiters in a brunch spot in brooklyn i think it was uh it's like a flashback it's how they met and it's all like white gay men calling them jackie chan like trying to get them to wait on them and everything and i'm like yeah that's it that's it right there that's the dark side of white male yeah uh but again the film is never dark it is never heavy and speaking as a white gay man i well i mean i'm not speaking on behalf of us but for for me i was like i never felt attacked by any of this i felt like it was all very very true yeah, uh, and and more important, I felt like it needed to be said in a story like this. If you're going to do this story in this setting, you need to unpack it all. Right, and that's one of the things I really loved about the film. It's like, well, they really did not leave a thing unturned. Right, it's the drinking, it's the drugs, and let me say, the drinking, the drugs, and the sex, all very positively presented, and that was very refreshing there was no moralizing about it yes that's what i meant about this movie why i like this movie because it's just presented there and you know no judgment no judgment they're all doing bumps or doing pay or whatever like that and again that is not the experience of everybody there but there is definitely a social scene that is constructed around that around you know doing bumps going to tea going to the you you know the meat market in the middle of the night or whatever or the meat rack um and I'm glad that it, nothing about that I understand about uh, Fire Island and in my experiences of it, I don't think they left anything unexamined. And that's that for a film that's I think comes in at one hour right. and forty five, maybe right. tops. It they pack so much into that, and on top of it all, they keep it light yeah. and sexy and funny. I think the movie is wonderful, and I was not expecting the movie to be that wonderful uh, on, on, on several levels. The fact that you have Asian representation, uh, which you never see, uh, in gay films. No, no, you never see anywhere. I mean, I mean, when, I mean, not that, not a group like that, you know, like, like several, members. several, yeah, yeah, several Asian characters yeah, and, of and, various personalities, right, exactly. body types, looks. I mean, 
Yeah, you don't see that often. So I do love that. And I love the fact that as you watch in the movie, you are paying attention to everything they're saying about uh, how Asians are treated uh, in the queer community and, you know, everywhere. How, but, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But at the same time, you you are watching a story. You're, you're paying attention to a story, regardless right. if whether they're Asian or not. And that's the beauty of it. It's it, it. This is proof that you can have all kinds of actors in a story. You know, they don't have to be white all the time. That it doesn't really matter at some point that you just pay attention to the story. Uh, you know, it, it, these two things go on at the same time, I mm -hmm. think, uh, as you watch in the movie. I loved it. I, I'm happy and surprised that it was distributed by Walt Disney Studios, which is great. You know, it's not just some independent movie. Uh, this is big. It's everywhere. They've, they have given interviews and it's been promoted everywhere. And I just think it's a very positive message. I agree. There was a uh, minor kerfuffle that arose on social oh, media yeah. this week because um, a woman named Hannah Rosen, who uh, she works for New York Magazine, I think, and she's an author. She wrote a book called The End of Men, and she um, has something that she, she runs New York Magazine's podcast. I guess she's their producer or whatever. She... Um, as far as I understand, she is a straight woman. I do not believe she is queer. And she tweeted out, um, here's a screen cap of it. So Fire Island movie gets an F minus, whatever an F minus is, on the Bechdel test, Bechdel test in a whole new way. Do we just ignore the drab lesbian stereotypes because cute Asian boys? Is this the revenge for all those years of the gay boy best friend? And she was completely attacked and raked over the coals, and rightly so. Um, it really annoyed me when I read it because one of the things I, I did enjoy about the film was uh, I think it's been a, a minute or two since I've seen a film that centered gay male, gay men mm -hmm. um, in this way. And that, that was actually very enjoyable to me in, a, in an exclusivity set. Right. Like it's really just gay men and one lesbian. That's right. all that's in the movie, um, which is what life is like on the Pines. That is exactly what it's like. It's again, I, there, there's a reason I keep comparing it to Wonder Woman's Magic Island because it's mostly single gender in a social sense. The Bechdel test, if you don't under, if you don't know what that is, Alison Bechdel is a lesbian cartoonist who, is, she's a legend. She's been around for like 40 years. In the 80s, she had a, a um, long-running strip called Dykes to Watch Out For. It's seminal, seminal representation, for queer representation in the media. And I remember reading it back in the day. And in uh, Dykes to Watch Out For, there is a scene... Uh, that she wrote, this is like, I don't know, 1985 or so, and it's a bunch of uh, lesbians going, or they're talking about going to the movies, and one of them says, I have a test for when I go to the movie uh, that determines whether I'm going to go to a movie, right. and that is, um, is there a scene with two female characters having a conversation about something other than a man? And it's it's sharp, and it's biting, and if you take that test and start applying it to uh, film and television, it's very illuminating as, as to how, even now, as to how rare that can be, a scene like that can be. Right. However, it is limited in terms of, as a tool to determine, you know, because sometimes there's movies where two women are talking about a man, but it has, you know, maybe they're talking about the president, or maybe they're, right. you know, they're not talking about a man that they're fighting over. Um so it's a very limiting way of talking about film. It's a good, you know, 
you know, test, but you shouldn't apply it as, as you know, the final arbiter of the quality of a piece, whether or not women are talking about something other than men. It's a great way to highlight an ongoing motif in Western filmmaking and how problematic it can be. But it's not the be-all and end-all of film criticism. And Alison Bechtel has actually made that point herself many times, that she feels that, um, first off, she doesn't like that it's named after her because uh, I can't remember the name of the woman. She got the idea from someone else. Right. Um, but she also uh, has said over the years that she it has been misinterpreted or it's used as the be-all and end-all, and it was never meant to be that. It was one person in a comic strip talking about something. It was not a treatise. So... Um, in this instance, applying something like the Bechtel test to a film about gay men on Fire Island is just the dumbest, dumbest possible use of that. What are you illuminating? Of course there's not a scene with women talking about something other than men. It's not, that's not, it's like complaining, it's literally exactly the same thing as complaining like there's, you know, not enough men in a movie about lesbians. It's exactly the same thing. And on the surface... That complaint is if I were to complain about something like the L word or something, there aren't enough men in, in the L word or whatever, I would be raked over the coals. It would be, I would be right, such a right, stupid thing to right. say. I was actually, no, I, you know, it's not like I like seeing women, you know, getting, you know, hammered on, on social media, but I was actually glad to see so many people fighting back again. And I mean, women as well as, but a lot of gay men came out and were like, you know what? You are applying this so incorrectly and you are missing the point. Should be noted that Hannah is a white woman. As I said, I believe she's a straight woman. And you, ba- first off, in her tweet, she calls them Asian boys. I know. They're over 30, lady. Um, and who are you as a straight white woman to complain that you don't see yourself in a film about gay Asian men? What other films are there about... How, when was the last time you saw a gay Asian male character in a film? And you're going to complain that this isn't about you. Um, not, to, not to, you know, she came out, she, she was raked over the coals, and then she deleted the tweet and made a very good apology. So it's not about her at all. But it is about how sometimes, you know, people can get really blind to uh, what they're... What's... what's this movie is actually about like I understand as a woman that you want to see representation in film I really do but as a white woman this was not your place or time no especially what knowing what the movie represents and and how important it is for the Asian community especially I mean when was the last time you saw a movie like that gay Asian you know representation right um it's all about them. Let the, the gays have their movie. Yeah. Let the Asian gays, you know, exactly uh, have their moment. Yeah. I mean, that's like Asian and gay. Yeah. Okay. So <coughs> just, you know, you don't have to stop every boss. <laughs> right. <laughs> just let one go every now and then. And there is, I mean, again, we should note, there is a range of characters. There are, uh, the movie does center the Asian characters over all of the other characters. Right. And that is, of course, as it should be and by design. But, you know, Matt Rogers is in it and he has a little bit of a story line and he was a lot of fun to watch and so it you know and as i noted there is a black actor in their group tomas matos who plays keegan uh is a latin uh a latino gay man and um he was really funny in it he was and i do think uh you know there was all this talk about bodies and 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 insecurity and everything like that but that guy he was walking around in basically thongs and half shirts and he has a killer body and i was like yeah that one 
would have no problem. I'm sorry. I, I know he's Latino, but he right. would have no problem getting late. Same thing with Matt Rogers, who is very thin and has, you know, he was shirtless through half the movies. They centered all of that, you know, body stuff on Bowen Yang, and he handled it really, really, really he, well. I think he did, yeah. Um, there's a way of doing gay male insecurity. He really did thread a needle. There's a way of doing gay male insecurity on screen that can be really self-pitying and cliched at this point. And I, I think his his the way his part was written and the way he performed it, it managed to avoid all of that. Right. Uh, there are scenes where he is really hurt. And he even says something like, let me just be hurt and get past this. Let me just, you know, he doesn't wallow in it. Right. Um, in fact, he is the healthiest person in there in that entire group. Like he is the most emotionally healthy person in that entire group. And it's not a coincidence that the one with the, you know, not perfect body is the one that is most emotionally healthy. Also, Margaret Cho is very emotionally healthy. She's 50 years old. And I think that is, again, by design. So, right. Um, I, I don't think know. She, I think she's great. I think her her dialogues were exactly where they were supposed to be. Yeah. Um, she was just good. Um, and she know. understood. She understood yeah. that, oh, we love you. We love you. And she even says it. You love me because I have a house. Yeah. And he tries to, you know, oh, don't say that. And she just more or less rolls her eyes at him. It's, it's, um, it's something that should be said. A character like that should be saying that. If right. you're a 50-year-old woman who is hosting men half your age every summer... She's not stupid. She would know that. Uh, and I was glad that that was pointed out. So lightly touching on things like ageism and body policing and racism and classism and doing it all in such a lightweight way. That's what I love about the movie is that it, it talks about a lot of things without creating that that halo or, you know, around no, or them. sound like you're getting lectured. I to. know, exactly. Which I hate when they yeah. do that. No, it, everything is said in a conversation that, you know, you as I said, if you pay attention to the, to the dialogue, then you catch all these things. Otherwise, yeah. you know, it's not like they stop and start talking about it. Like, no, no, not a, not at all. <laughs> it's also done as asides yeah. or, you know, the way real people talk. We, yeah, don't, exactly. we don't issue treatises at each other. We just live in the world <laughs> and we talk and make references. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think that's it. Yeah, I think I, so. I just felt like everyone's talking about the film this week. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. You do not have to be gay to watch this film. Uh, if you... Even more so, I, I would really urge people who aren't gay to watch the film because you will, if you approach it in the right way, you and with, right. in a, let me ask you, be, to be non-judgmental, there's sex parties and there's drugs and, you know, just accept it. These are young gay men in a social situation that encourages that sort of thing that is largely based on that sort of thing. Right. Um, and I love, love that it was, there was nothing about it that was judgmental at no, all. It, 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 it is just what show, it is. They, sh they, ju they just show you what happens. Yeah, um, this is what it is. This is what that social scene is like. It yeah. is showing you the highs of that because, uh, you know, it's fun to have sex with hot strangers. It's fun to do a bump. You can say those things on film and not be judgmental about it. Uh, and I'm not saying all of this from, uh, I mean, some of it from personal experience. I certainly had sex with plenty of strangers in my okay. day. But, um, oh, please, please, shall I start telling stories? No. Um, oh, my God. Anyway. So, but uh, if you are straight and you're listening to us, because I know we have a lot of straight listeners, uh, please check it out on Hulu. I think it is illuminating about so much about gay male socializing. Yes. Gay male... Um, psyches like what it does both good and bad and again for every 
um, bit that shows you that it's a toxic atmosphere, there's another bit that shows you that it's a family, that they are literally, quite literally, a family of people who really love each other. Right. And there's been a lot of talk, and I've noticed a lot of people mention it, the uh, chosen family. I mean, I've been reading a lot. That's a common, yeah. Yeah, but but I see that a lot. I've been reading a lot of that this week about it i guess because it's of of the um you know pride and all that but it's interesting because that's exactly what go, what's going on in the movie they're friends and that's uh, they're a family mm-hmm. uh and and it's nice so if you've never heard of the island uh, you know google you're gonna see amazing photos of Cher, madonna everybody on the yeah. island it's fun it's and a, watch it on hulu yeah if you have hulu yes uh it's a really if nothing else, nothing else it is, you know, pardon my phrasing, a straight up romantic comedy. And it gets very romantic. Oh, and let me just say, um, the, uh, as I noted earlier, the film opens with um, Joel Kim Booster quoting the opening line of Pride and Prejudice about a man in need of a wife. And he dismisses it immediately. He says, that sounds like some sort of heteronormative nonsense. And then just launches into right, the story. Right. Now, how do you say something like that at the start of a romantic comedy and then end with a heteronormative romance and they don't, and I won't go into it why or how that's navigated, but um, it's a happy ending, not a happily ever after ending. And, and the characters are very open about that. And, you know, and it gives you both sides of that equation. There right. are, there is a happily ever after ending for, or an implied one, and then there's also just a happy for now ending. And both of them are, again, there's something very non-judgmental about that. Uh, Lorenzo and I have been together 26 years, almost, uh, and I think we got our happily ever after oh ending. Oh my God, yes. Absolutely. But I have always, it's written, it's the last paragraph in our book, I, I have always argued that our life is not the model for gay all gays and no, it should I'm, never ever no. be seen that way no, and I, the fight towards gay marriage yes the idea that everyone should be like tom and lorenzo everyone should be a monogamous long-term married couple in the gay community has now become something that we really need to question whether mm-hmm. that we oversold that I, to people. I, I, I understand. There are political, social, and et cetera, et cetera, reasons why, you know, we wanted gay marriage, you know, as a community. Right. But I personally always, always in my entire life wanted to have someone. I wanted to have so a, 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 a marriage. That's right. just me. And I guess, you know, Tom felt the same way, and that's why we're together. That's why we're together. That's why it but, lasted so but I don't long, because we both wanted the same thing. Right. But I but, don't expect everyone to feel the same or, no. or, or you know, look for the same. I have told gay friends over many, many times over the years, gay friends who aren't in long-term relationships, that, you know, please don't be looking at my life as what you should be having for yourself. Like, if, if you're happy, if you're fulfilled, if you're getting laid, right. or if you have someone, fine. But you don't have to put on a ring and wake up next to the same person every day for the rest of your life. Right. And the film, um, it tips its hat to that. It allows characters to voice that in a way that, again, isn't tragic, isn't judgmental, and still feels happy. I agree. It still feels like two people finding happiness. It doesn't matter if they wind up, you know, at City Hall getting married. It just doesn't matter. It it only matters. The actual... The birds oh outside my God, are the birds, so yeah. loud. We, we you probably birds. can't hear it. They're, but. they're wonderful, the birds. Anyway. Um, anyway. The birds, actually, I lost my train of thought. But uh, I, I just like that they 
they allowed for uh, an ending that was happy for two characters uh, in which they learned lessons, in which right. they changed, in which they grew as people, but it doesn't end with them right. planning their wedding. Yeah, I think gay marriage is a wonderful thing. I think we fought for the choice. The choice. We, exactly. tro- we fought for the choice of getting married if we want to, but that doesn't mean that the entire community has to follow a straight no, you know, form. You don't or, have to or want it. it. No, you don't have to, um, and you certainly don't have to elevate it. There's nothing uh, superior about right. being married. No. There's nothing at all Absolutely. superior about being uh, a long-term couple or versus ha- a single person, or there's, having someone for that matter. Yeah, I mean, there, yeah. There's nothing wrong in being single, making choices, having some of the happiest know. people I yeah, know are exactly. not paired off with yes, someone. Exactly. Um, and you know. Some other ha- very happy people I know have been with the same person for 30 years. So it's just all about the variety of life. And I'm glad that uh, the film acknowledges that. Yes, I agree. Not every gay man wants the same thing. Not every gay man sees it the same way. And uh, this is what I mean about it being a very, very intelligent film on top of being uh, just a fun, light, it's just a great I cast agree. to watch. You know, you'll... you'll End it feeling good. It's just exactly what you want out of this kind of film. Yes, I agree. I've I've watched many, many, many uh, queer or gay movies, and you know some of them. I'm like, I can't believe it. It's always the same story, but this is completely different. Right. I have to say, there's a lot of queer um, romance movies that really emphasize the one, like the yes. one guy that's going to complete you and make you, you know, happy for the rest of your life. And fine, whatever. I found my one, but that's again. Right. It's just not for everybody. And I, I just love that the film is good about that. And I, it, uh, I felt like after it was over, I was like, wow, that's that's how you do diversity in a story. And you don't even realize how diverse it is until the story's exactly, over. Exactly. You exactly. Don't, you're not sitting there thinking, this is, I think, alluding to your, you know, sort of touching on your point about not seeing race, which is not, you know, I mean, when white people say that, it, it can no, be a really I, dicey thing. I, but I do understand what you mean. It's like, I'm watching a romance. I'm not, and and I'm glad that they are talking about what it's like to be an Asian man on Fire Island, or what right. it's like to be a man with a deep voice versus a man who doesn't have a deep voice, or whatever. But at the end, it's really just a romance, and the right. tropes and the the highs and the lows of the storyline follow all romances. Right. That's I why he's want, Mr. Darcy. Right. I do not want to be misunderstood here. What I meant was that the, the story is so great, the 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 script, everything, the actors are so everything is so great about it that it's not that you forget that they're Asian, but you appreciate other things aside from the fact that they're Asian. Right. Uh, representation in the movie. That's what I meant. So Fire Island. Uh, for us, it the film um, really explored a lot of things or revealed a lot of things that um, touched us deeply yeah. or resonated with us because of our own experiences. But you, I really don't think you have to be gay no. or you, that you have to understand Fire Island or that you have to be Asian to right. appreciate no. or enjoy this film. But And if you don't know Fire Island at all, it's really one of the it's like the best representation of it I've yeah. ever seen. And they did a phenomenal job. The island looked beautiful. And it's not like they made the island. I uh, said that while we were yeah. watching. Yeah. No, the island is gorgeous. You know how you, like someplace that you've been to, someone shoots a movie there and then you go watch the movie and they're like, oh my God, they made it look so beautiful. Right. We were watching it last night and I was like, you know what? They didn't make it look beautiful. That is literally what it looks like. There. Yeah. That is what the sunsets look like. Yes. That is what the beach looks like. That's what, you know. Yeah. It's so, a wonderful place. It's a wonderful place, but you've got to navigate it, <laughs> which is true of all gay male social spaces. Yes. All right. Um, that's our little pride-oriented uh, 
podcast. Uh, we really enjoyed it, and, uh, and we just wanted to talk about it from our own perspective. Yes. So go see Fire Island. Go see it. We'll be back next week. We are going to do some more Pride content. We're going. We have some um, yeah. fun interviews coming up, yeah, which are not yeah. Pride related, but still fun for us. So come back next week with whatever crosses our eyes or whatever we have planned. Until then, love you, mean it. Bye bye. Bye.